0: Hello and welcome to the Local to Global podcast. I'm Nick Hewer. I had something like 40 years in business, ending up as an advisor to Lord Sugar on The Apprentice. Now, in this series, we're looking at why exporting is great for business. Whether you're starting a brand new company or looking to expand, selling overseas can make a huge impact in terms of increasing sales, growth and stability. But for many, the idea of selling abroad can seem daunting. In this podcast series, I'll be talking to some of the UK's standout business founders and exporters to hear about their stories, to ruminate on the successes, failures and tips and strategies for trading internationally. In this first episode, we'll be talking to Bridget Bard, the founder and CEO of Biosure, the company behind the world's first self-test HIV diagnosis kit. Having started in 2011, the company completed its first international order last year, selling to over 500 pharmacies in South Africa. And in the new year, it looks to expand into new markets, including Kenya and Brazil. Bridget, welcome. What a story you've got here. (laughs) Tell me this, your business. Tell us about it and then tell us about this extraordinary HIV self-test kit.
1: Well, I mean, Biosure is a diagnostics company, and we started off as a UK-focused company, so working with the NHS and with healthcare, and we specialised in sexual health. So through the organisations that we work with, including um, National AIDS Trust and Terence Higgins Trust, We were part of the lobbying group to change the legislation around HIV self-testing. So when we actually had the legislation revoked, we were in a very strong position with a very clear understanding of the sexual health market to develop our
0: products. And this test now, which you're now exporting very successfully, I think it's something like 99.7% success on accuracy
1: yes yeah it's it's incredibly um accurate so so we started to develop the bioshore h i v self test during the kind of build up through twenty thirteen twenty fourteen and we launched in twenty fifteen and because our our test uses blood um it's extremely accurate as accurate as any
0: clinical test that you'd get fifteen minutes and it's done
1: yeah uh one thing with developing an h i v self test is we had to prove. The untrained people could perform the test and read the result as accurately as a trained professional. So we, you have to always think about the kind of lowest common denominator. So make things very easy. There's no mixing. There's no measuring in it. It's a tiny drop of blood. It's very intuitive. And um, the outcome is, is similar to a pregnancy test. So easy to read, one line or two lines, negative or positive.
0: Now, you started by selling products to hospitals and doctors before... Deciding to sell kits direct to the consumer. How has that changed the direction of the business? Oh,
1: an extraordinary amount. So, my, my original background from my original business life uh, is not involved with healthcare. And I have a really broad experience of uh, marketing and branding and building. So when we started to look at direct to consumer, there was nothing to model this on. We're a first to market. We were a world first. And we know that there's this, there's this we call it the HIV-ness of HIV. Um, so we had that to contend with as well. And we, we've just really built ourselves forward. It's a very different market to healthcare. Very, very different.
0: And you've, I suppose, you've got to balance the sort of care-driven aspect of the company and this particular product yeah, with profit.
1: Yes, we certainly have, and I mean, we're still reinvesting. I mean, a real rate of knots um, in our product development and, and how we're moving the business forward. But we we couldn't launch this product into healthcare because there was such um, skepticism, and this was from kind of European level downwards. Of would people even want to self-test for HIV? Mm could they do it if they had a positive result could they self refer into care so we've had to build that evidence and we've we've been really proactive built incredibly robust data now from three continents um and it's only just starting to tip into healthcare now we're working with a few nhs trusts but that's kind of where the uk market sits
0: but you're stocked in superdrug i think in this yeah, country yeah
1: we've we've just just gone into um superdrug recently
0: and then suddenly Export beckoned. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, well, we we always knew when we were developing the product that this was a product with real global potential and there's numerous reasons around that but obviously HIV is still a problem in this country and there are still about 10,000 people undiagnosed but globally uh, there's about 14 million people undiagnosed and unfortunately they are the people whose health suffers and also are unknowingly Responsible for most of the onward transmission. So, another testing choice overseas was always in our sights.
0: And South Africa? got picked.
1: Yeah, uh, South Africa really uh, carries the greatest burden of the disease globally. I mean, we work in communities there that have 40% prevalence. So four in 10 people have HIV. Um, we have really, really significant barriers to entry in markets. So um gaining regulatory approvals. And we are passionate about what we do. We don't just sell a test, we sell a whole different conversation around HIV. So getting top tier ministries of health and governments understanding what we're doing while we're kind of plugging away at grassroots and making sure that we have our messaging out at that level as well. So there's, there's huge stakeholder engagement. How do you cope
0: with that? Because you're not a large organisation <laughs> and the whole compliance, the whole legislative uh, process must be a nightmare for you. Are you handling that yourself or do you outsource that to specialist organisations?
1: Well, originally, certainly with South Africa, we handled that ourselves. So we engaged with DIT quite early on and we commissioned something called an OMIS report, which actually for us was such a helpful... We, we At the time, we weren't really sure whether to invest in it or not because we were a start-up and running on limited budgets. And it was really helpful. We did some work with the British Chamber of Commerce, this OMIS report from DIT introducing us to some local distributors, banking people, some government people. And so that was our start. And that was our template for learning. And it was much harder than I thought. Uh, It was a real kind of steep learning curve, but we've kind of fixed a template now. So some countries, and we've got about 16 countries underway at the moment with another 20 scheduled behind it. And each one has its nuances. So we, we try to find local partners to work with. We have a hub in each continent and um, we do engage, um, as I say, DRT have been a real help in establishing the initial links into those countries.
0: Yeah. Tell me this, whenever you enter a new territory, you've got South Africa, you look at the others now, you got seem to have got them sort of slated as it were. How have you approached marketing and raising product awareness and all the other issues surrounding a delicate subject, frankly?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, we speak, and always, this this is at the core of our business, and it's how we deliver everything in a really natural tone of voice. We engage with governments, so we make sure that there's high-level messaging, and because... HIV is a problem in virtually every country in the world. It's of varying scales. Ministries of Health are really interested in learning the lessons that we've learned and it's relatively agnostic, but having awareness campaigns that self-testing is now available and an option so as a real um, kind of blanket overlay that's that we utilize social media hugely because it's very cost effective and it's it's straightforward to deliver and it starts the conversation and we engage with hiv organizations student bodies and try and get this we called it building kind of the Bioshore army of HIV warriors, and it honestly is what we're doing. Because you were
0: working with a lot of universities, I think, in South Africa. Yeah,
1: we've had two core universities that we've worked with, so uh, UKZN in KwaZulu-Natal and in Stellenbosch, where we've managed to do some kind of really good market research, um, help develop some campaigns, understand the messaging, because there's localised cultures always, and we have to... You know, we're fairly um, one of most of our campaigns in the UK and in Europe run around prick, suck, poke because you prick your finger, suck up the blood, poke it in the pot. Mm. That's not been hugely relevant in South Africa. And we were kind of, you know, thinking maybe this is a bit risque to launch into this market and actually working with the student bodies. It really works there. And it does break down these barriers around speaking about it. So in
0: that sense, you can in a way control the messaging fashion it to the local communities, it were, because there are some pretty strange ideas, I think, in certain parts yeah. of the world, and in Africa particularly. <laughs> local brand ambassadors, reps. Yes,
1: yeah, very much local brand ambassadors. Again, this is where student communities fit in, and we work with social media influencers, so we utilise Instagram, where it exists. Facebook is virtually global. And I think this idea of social impact, which we definitely have, we invest heavily in education, both because it's necessary for the product and also it builds our brand equity and awareness. Um, So we have some amazing people engaged and involved with promoting people being able to take control of their own testing and knowing their own status. And the
0: student body, because they're educated and articulate, presumably, will then be able to pass that message on to the community with greater effect than if you were to Just stick up hoardings and billboards, I guess.
1: Yeah, above the line advertising has not had massive impact for us. We need a conversation and students generally are really passionate and they're really passionate about changing things and changing them for the better. And it is that ripple effect, you know, of a constant drumbeat, of a message going out, a positive message. Um, that gets people thinking and talking.
0: What about production? It's all UK-based?
1: We have just reshored our manufacturing to the UK, which is a massively exciting step for us, and there, there were numerous um, reasons around that. So now we are 100% UK-based, um, with the bulk of it now now starting to go overseas.
0: I mean, I've looked at the, the pack. It's very clear, it's, frankly beautifully done and explicit (laughs) I'm not I'm not not, uh, not being over kind to you it is a good product what about cost is it affordable in South Africa for the ordinary consumer? Because remember, the consumer's buying it from the pharmacy yes. and taking it home and locking themselves in a little room, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a test that can be done wherever and whenever somebody wants to. And part of our kind of education about um, exporting. So, you know, we, we've learned some lessons in Africa. We're now launching into Brazil where, goodness me, the taxation system <sighs> is just really? unbelievable. So getting an affordable product, to the consumer at the end of the line is quite tricky with taxation, with people having various margins in the middle of it. Obviously, riding a, and we hedge on currency to you know to try and uh, mitigate as much risk as he, interesting in today's market. Um, watching currency fluctuations, well,
0: you've got to be paid and you've got to keep an eye on the treasury. We yeah.
1: absolutely have. Even repatriation of funds is a consideration. So, you get paid in a territory, can you actually get the money out of um, the country and back?
0: You can't sell online?
1: We sell loads online. Really, it's our biggest To which territories? In the UK and Europe, Amazon is just a force to be reckoned with. They are the most amazing platform. They are slick and they are so efficient. We have owned e-commerce in all territories, which varies in kind of... Most of it depends upon local logistics and how easy that is. So in Kenya, it's quite straightforward to do that. In Nairobi... But going outside of that into rural kind of destinations isn't really possible. But South Africa has a platform called Take A Lot, which is the local kind of Amazon. We sell on there, Our pharmacies sell online. So, and I think the discrete nature of this lends itself um, quite well to. Well, us. I
0: think that's the point. Because in Europe, you know, people buying, you know, online and paying a reasonable amount of money for it could just as easily go into their local clinic. And, uh, and have a test for free. Mm. So in a sense, this is a sort of a self-assurance issue and if it turns out positive, then they go to the clinic. Is that is that? The point? Yes,
1: no, absolutely. And that's that's a global testing algorithm. So an HIV a first HIV positive test is always confirmed by a different technology. So even in a hospital, you would be retested. Um, we never say that you should self test. It's another testing option. And in most countries, there is free HIV tests are available through healthcare but people uh, sometimes there's geographical challenges um to people getting to clinics even in the UK you have to have time off work you have to get there so the cost of a test sometimes outweighs actually what it costs you in
0: in time sure to get somewhere. and this
1: is um this this belongs to you
0: and the test is private that's yeah. I think the key tell me this it's not been running that long and now suddenly <laughs> now suddenly it's half your uh, almost half your uh, sales. How are you dealing with this from a management point of view and a production and cost point of view?
1: Well, obviously, as we, and we are fully moving into kind of scale mode now. We are permanently investing in um, you know new equipment and new machinery. We're building our team, and I have to say, as probably most people know, recruiting is tricky. I mean, we we attract incredible caliber staff um, but it just takes time doesn't it all these things which you don't always have but reinvestment is certainly where we are for the next couple of
0: years. But when you start you know selling uh, abroad and my word is it something like 40% of your turnover now is is export?
1: Yeah and And actually
0: that's the beginning isn't it? It
1: it really is. I think we will be seeing towards 80% within the next uh,
0: 12 to 18 months. A couple of questions really. Selling abroad and you've sort of touched on it Different currencies. Mm. How much of a headache is that for you? I guess that when you're selling online, it's not a problem in a sense because in comes the money anyway. Mm. But when you're selling into farmers through distributors, presumably?
1: Uh, Yes, in some countries it is through distributors. So we do try and hedge as much as possible. So we forecast. I mean, the, the markets are moving so Quickly at the moment, looking at Europe, I mean, the euro has been relatively static. When you're looking at South Africa with the rand, in 18 months, we've seen a fluctuation between 16 rand to the pound and 21. So, you know, a third of the shift. So keeping some reserves and and being smart about, you know, how you hedge and when you move money is is a consideration.
0: And these movements, these fluctuations in currency, of course, can happen overnight. It's a a nightmare. Yeah, they can. But you presumably uh, get paid before you ship.
1: Yes, and we're we're increasingly working with governments and donor funders now. So the, the we always take a, a percentage of order with payment, and for overseas, especially into, um, we're starting to contract now with other African governments. They are payments in advance.
0: Tell us about mentoring from the Department for International Trade. Did you get in early?
1: We we did, and I think someone was asking me about this recently. I think we did it by chance. I honestly think we were in a kind of Googling about, oh, you know, what should we do? How should we do this? And um, through our kind of local area contact, and this is a man called Reiko, and he's been fantastic. We've kind of tapped into this global network, I guess, and some countries are better than others. For us, the countries that have DIT, life sciences departments are really our strongest. So, again, in Brazil... They've been really helpful and we, we talk to them a lot. They're aware of what's going on with our business and where we are in our kind of journey. And, and we forge relationships with them. So in each territory, there is some type of mentoring that goes in.
0: You surprised me when we had a little chat beforehand about the, the surge in HIV infection. Well, in Europe.
1: Yes, well certainly in Eastern Europe. I, I, I mean I'm hoping that people listening to this do know that HIV is now treatable. So that's that's the real reason that self-testing has now become possible and someone on treatment can become virally suppressed so that the virus is so low you can't detect it and then you can't pass it on. So this is how um women with HIV have HIV-free babies. But it, this this journey and this education, it's about the the UN having a plan to eradicate HIV ultimately. About seventy percent of diagnosis now globally are women because they get pregnant and men aren't testing mm. um, because HIV is asymptomatic and you know, barriers of them going to clinic. So really this journey and looking at infection rates going up in Eastern Europe, there's low testing levels, there's low awareness levels, treatment, especially in Russia, is not is readily available
0: it doesn't it's not a problem here sort of was it
1: yeah i think there is there is some of that and when it's um in the middle east i mean there 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 are no hiv figures but we know that there there is a booming booming hiv population um with female sex workers with orphan children with transient men some men who travel for work as in truck drivers and things like yeah,
0: that yeah.
1: um and it it is so much of it is around awareness
0: mm. yeah when did you start exporting? 2014? No, last year. Last 2017. Year. That's amazing. Mm. It's amazing. You've only been at this exporting game <laughs> for a year or something. Now, imagine somebody's just thinking about it today, all
1: right?
0: Mm. What's your word of advice, what tip would you give them before they actually lift up the phone and start trying to get on with their exporting? Is there one thing that you would tell them?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I was, I'm was i really fortunate. So my previous business life, I had a completely different business that I actually sold to fund this one. i I had a different product, different sector, but a reasonable experience of importing and exporting. I would say to absolutely know what your market is, don't just think that it will work there. really do some deep digging around are there any cultural Absolutely. reasons that you couldn't go into a territory? would you are there any legal reasons? are there any regulatory barriers? And obviously, make sure it's commercially viable. We have to invest so heavily in going through regulatory approvals that although a market might look really attractive and really sexy, are we actually going to make any money there? And how long is that time um, yeah. to, to bring that money back? And having local support is critical. You can't do these things from arm's length. It's just impossible. You need someone on the ground who's got, you know, your your business at heart.
0: Yeah, And you, you touched on it in the Middle East, culturally. Mm. Some people would say, oh, no, not here, not in this country. And you've got to overcome that. Now, presumably... You can get quite a lot of help from the Department of International Trade. They're mentoring. Yes,
1: yeah, you really can. And as I say, we've had we have to come at it from two levels. We have to engage with the decision makers and the policy makers and those people, and also at grassroots. And it's the the, the DIT locally have really helped us with those high level connections. And I mean, Britain is so respected in the markets that we go yeah. into. We're trusted for doing things right, doing things as they say they should be done. You know, we're not corner cutting we have credibility Um, so going in as a British company supported by the DIT does open doors
0: it counts it
1: really does yeah
0: you're only a year in as I say Mm. what was the most sort of unexpected aspect of exporting one you hadn't really thought of Good or bad, really?
1: Well, I think <laughs> talking about the impacts on business, managing cash flow. So, you know, you have your projections, you have your cash flows, you think, right, you know, we're four weeks on the water, we're four weeks through the system, maybe we're a couple of weeks in before we start get funds rolling. That is something that um, you definitely have to give yourself a very significant headspace on. So always make sure you're not going to run out of money. That's the biggest thing. Um, as I say, repatriating funds, bringing money back from South Africa sometimes takes us four or five months oh, really? um, to get through. So, And we, when you look at it on paper, it absolutely shouldn't happen that way. It's really straightforward. But actually, once you need to get a certificate from a bank, which takes six weeks, mm. and then they've gone on holiday, and you know things don't run to um, always overseas run to kind of the time
0: scales that we'd we'd think you can get squeezed quite badly. Yeah, quite you badly. Can. Now, South Africa, five hundred pharmacies, more to come, and you're looking at other countries. What are your biggest challenges coming up? Do you think is it cash flow? Is it managing the money? Um,
1: yeah, I, I think it's probably we we are really in a, a rapid um, kind of scale. Cash flow always. Um, and anyone who speaks to me about business, cash is king. Never, ever leave yourself exposed where you are going to run out of money, even if it means, you know, just holding back the timeline slightly or making sure that you have got investors or access to funds when they're there. The scaling of the team and making sure um, I'm absolutely paranoid about brand values and brand equity. So managing that, managing our comms, managing our marketing is also another, um, as as we're, as we're expanding, making sure that that is managed in the way that we need it to be managed is also another challenge.
0: I've heard that you know, a lot of companies think, oh, no, risk of failure. Oh, no, I don't want to get involved in that. I could lose an arm and a leg. What do you say to those people?
1: Oh, I think anyone who starts their own business is never that risk-averse, really. Um, it is doing your homework, I think. I mean, we're fairly structured now in how we've developed our kind of standard operating procedure of moving into an overseas territory for us knowing in the regulatory landscape is critical understanding if you have any competitors what they're doing making sure so we do a lot of our benchmarking and market evaluations based on condoms and pregnancy tests because we can't do it against the self-test there are no others there mm-hmm. um and obviously you know don't throw all of your chickens into uh, one basket but there is so much potential in overseas so to dip your toe in and not overestimate everything and and as I say not not maybe launch into it but the the world is out there and and is super interested in British business
0: I know but you are an entrepreneur and you haven't got a nerve in your body, I don't think, quite frankly, <laughs> talking to you. So what's the best thing about exporting? It's the potential. It's the, it's the, the joy of the thing. It's the chase.
1: Oh, I have to say I Absolutely, I love it, and I I am so completely privileged to to work in the field that we work in. I mean, we've just been up for an award at Buckingham Palace at at Palace, which talk about nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, presenting at Buckingham Palace in front of hundreds of kind of you know leaders was amazing. But we we can only do that because we have the experience and we we have the scope and deliver for us delivering our message into overseas. Markets and yeah, it's it's kind of a bit addictive, really. Have
0: you got, have you protected your product
1: from IP? IP uh, oh, yeah, true. no, yeah. we uh, We have uh, a really really strong board at our company with the most wonderful chairman, Sir Nigel Knowles, who was actually former chairman of DLA Piper, who's mm-hmm. now DWF. But they offer massive advice, and yeah, that's one thing that we are. Very good. On
0: you've got to hold on to that IP.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and it's we are we're looking at the Asian market starting from twenty twenty, and I have to say I have some fears. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're we're not strong enough yet to move into that space with counterfeiting and things like
0: that. Are you pointing the finger at China?
1: Ah, uh, no, as if as if I would. But <laughs> the, the further removed we come from from the things we know, I mean, yeah. one of the things in South Africa, which professes to be a regulated market is it's an absolute free-for-all. So our product's incredibly difficult to counterfeit because it is so niche, but other products are there claiming things. that a big market in this
0: product. Big, big market.
1: Multiple, multiple millions of tests globally. And also,
0: it's a multi-person test. Yeah, but, but don't just do it once.
1: No. Anyone who has a risk event, so that's normally having unprotected sex, um, it's recommended that you test every three months. And there's a real development in treatments now, so it's called PrEP, and it's a tablet that you take before you have sex, so it can stop you contracting HIV. Um, yeah, it's it's really phenomenal, and it's being used a lot in disconcordant couples in um, South Africa, so where one partner is HIV positive and one is negative. But again, you have to test every three months. So as that's expanding and our test, um, because it's a blood-based test, does give a true positive or a true negative with people that are on treatment.
0: No, I got it. So just let's sort of round up a bit the importance of mentoring. I know that you were in business beforehand in a very different sort of business. Then you came into this testing business and up, Pop Biosure HIV testing. It's mm. so the one thing that you wish you'd known before you started the <laughs> exporting thing. And to what extent? Be honest. To what extent did the the mentoring from the Department for International Trade play?
1: Well, if I, if I'd have known how difficult the whole business would have been, I'm not actually sure I would have done it. I possibly would, but it it has been extraordinarily difficult, not from an exporting perspective necessarily, from a being first at everything that we do. We move forward with confidence anyway because we are world experts in what we do with a world-class product. And I think having the confidence of having the DIT and local teams who know local things has really helped. We we need PR in, in countries where we launch. And again, doing that at arm's length is incredibly difficult, mm. whereas we get support with DIT for broadcasting that message. So I think things that I didn't know is how difficult it would be. Things that I did know is how uh, through through DIT um, help about how how banking systems and taxation systems and import and networking with local distributors, that's been the thing that has enabled us to go into those markets or helped us to.
0: Yeah. So you've got a massive world market, you've got a great product, you're getting help from the Department for International Trade and I guess the biggest problem is changing people's minds in those countries Mm. to accept that this is the smart thing to do and there should be no resistance to it and once you've done that you know There'll be no stopping you.
1: <laughs> well, I very much hope not. It is changing how people think and talk about HIV and letting them know that there's another choice, mm. take control, and how important it is to know your status, self-testing or otherwise. And that's the message that we're driving. People have a choice and they can choose this.
0: Bridget, it's been a real pleasure. <laughs> I think BioSure, you know, it's a hit. It's thank an you absolute so hit. Thank much. You, it's... Thank you for coming to talk to me thank all you right. for having that's me that's all for this episode of the Local to Global podcast to start your own exporting journey visit great.gov.uk until next time from me Nick here it's goodbye